Now we're going to talk about the supernatural beings that captured the imagination of Irish people for centuries. I'm talking, of course, about the fairies, those mischievous creatures that were feared and revered in equal measure. The recently published book Irish Fairies, A Short History of the She, that's S-I-D-H-E, S-I-Father-D-H-E, explains how every corner of Ireland retains a memory of the fairies, be it a cave, a hill, a tree, a lake or a fort. The author is historian Michael Houlihan, a founder of the Quinn Heritage Group in County Clare, who has long been interested in Irish cultural and folk traditions. Michael, you're very welcome indeed to The History Show. Um, why is it that I associate Clare above all with fairies? I suspect for two reasons, and I could be wrong on both. One is that there was a very famous Banthassa, or wise woman here in Clare, Biddy Early or Bridget Early, mm. and her name became quite national for a while, especially when Clare were playing, uh, <laughs> when they <laughs> the were curse. playing uh, 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 Molly Malone's in, in, in uh, GA a good many years ago. The second reason is that we have a very eminent uh, folklorist in this county, Eddie Lennon, a, a, yes. a native of Kerry uh, from my own side of the world, and he has done so much work to promote the whole tradition of fairy lore, if you like, for many years. I think, uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head twice there, actually. Um, OK, <laughs> let's, let's talk about the nomenclature, first of all. Uh, they go, yes. these creatures go by many names. We know them familiarly yes. as fairies, but give me examples of uh, other appellations. Well, fairies is probably the least appropriate name for them. I think if we went back to the 19th century that the Irish people living all over the country would not have thought of them as being the fairies. They would have been more thought of as the she, as, as you mentioned earlier. Now, they have a lot of names. The good people, the, uh, the little people, the wee people. The needy uh, All kinds of gentle names for them. And why do you, what have you got against the, the description fairy? Do you think it's uh, too modern or, or uh, inappropriate? I, it's not so much, it, it conjures up certain notions of, of the she, which may not be quite consistent with the old understanding of them in, in, in we'll say, 18th to 19th century. When the she came to prominence in this country, a lot of it came when, when you started having a lot of travel by people from Europe and England. And they got, a lot of them got hugely interested in, let's use the word, the fairies, and began to write about them or send back accounts about them. And from there, the, the whole fairy notion grew more and more. And then you had some of the English, English as in the land of England, characteristics creeping into the Irish she. And they, I find that sometimes they're a little different to precisely how they're remembered by Irish people. So in other words, they're not, it's, we're not talking about Tinkerbell in Peter Pan here. Basically. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and I mean, that's okay too for a certain, at a certain level. I, I, I have never come across a quotation whereby the fairies are described as being winged people, mm. you know, winged, if you want to put it that way, individuals. Uh, nor were they, as far as I'm concerned, and I, this, I know people would argue, argue with me, nor were they necessarily diminutive. They were full height. They were... As tall as, as we would be, and possibly even taller a little bit. Okay, interesting. Um, now, when it comes to the origin of belief in fairies, you outline a few theories in your book. And I think your, your own favourite theory is that uh, Neolithic period structures inspired the belief. I think they did. Well, they, they were a catalyst to what was to follow. And a great part of it is it was captured in our very early mythology, written by 
Celts, if you will, Celtic peoples, where uh, we didn't actually have a beginning race here in Ireland. We had a series of invasions. We had five or six groups that came into the country. And the two last groups were first the two had their done, who would be defeated by us, us being the Malaysians, or the last group in. And the two had their done, and the Malaysians fought. And from that battle, the two had their done agreed to go underground and to become, as we know them now, as the Shi, or the fairies. And the Malaysians, us, came to prominence at that point. But a lot of it was driven by their experience because when the Celts arrived, and I'm not exclusive to the Celts, you had the country full of all kinds of portal tombs and all sorts of other things. And the Celts couldn't quite understand what these monuments were all about. So in the absence of, of an explanation, they created an explanation, and I think that became the she. Just give us an idea of some of the other explanations, some of the other theories. Yeah, well, another theory is, if, like myself, you had been reading about them, they also tend to be very closely associated with death, or that they had a, a role to play with death, and there were intermediaries of death. There was a famous Welsh folklorist, Alan Bruford, who wrote, it appears that the fairies of the guardians of the gateway to the next world, both departments of it. So what he was saying is that, that they protected their own uh, realms, shall we say, and the realms of the dead. So that there's a bit of an overlap between death back then and the fairies themselves. So that was that explanation. Another one too that came earlier, but it's not as well used, is that the fairies may have been a part of a lost race. They may have been the original Aborigines of Ireland. And when you had the Celts and others, I'm not hang everything off the Celts, but when others came in, they were pushed away into the, the green swords and, and, and nature and uh, became subsequently a slightly lost group who became the Shi. Now, there's, there are positives, there are negatives associated with the Shi. One of the negatives is this lore that we have in this country of the, of the changeling. I'm sure they have it elsewhere as well. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, just explain to me what a changeling is and, and what you think is the origin of this particular mythology. Absolutely. I think this, the fairies served many purposes for us Irish and the society of the 18th to early 19th century. And one of them was, which was a great, great, great uh, uh, pain for people, was the death or, or the less than perfect children that they may have had delivered. The changing itself was whereby you had what was understood to have been a fine, healthy, mortal baby being replaced by an ailing, kind of sick, hungry child. And people couldn't come to terms with this, this child that was there. And that was more or less wasting. So the whole ideology of the changeling came to pass at that point. And uh, it, it stayed with us for an awful long time. What it was was a, 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 an ailing person or she replacing a healthy human child. And of course, what it really was, it was a psychological help for families, parents who had a child that may have been less than healthy in any case, and it mm. was a place to kind of hang the whole thing for a while. You also have a chapter on fairy doctors and wise women. I'm sure one of those is uh, Biddy Early, and we'll talk about yes. her in detail in just a few minutes. But um, these were these fairy doctors and wise women were important figures for centuries in Ireland as purveyors of holistic medicine, weren't they, up until the, the 19th Absolutely. century? Absolutely. And in fact, there's a growing appreciation, again, of, of 
the Manafasa, or the, the uh, fairy women, and men to some extent as well, whereby they were the herbalists for villages, and they were the only source of cure, if you will, for the village. There was no pharmacy to be had, so they would go into the wild, pick whatever plants, which through time and experience they knew to be helpful to some degree. Now, they wouldn't be able to take on all the big stuff, but they took care of an awful lot of stuff. And as well as using herbs very effectively, and many of the herbs they used are still renowned to this day as, as having curative properties, but they also use, how would I put you, a spiritual cure. And the cure could come in the form of either religion and visit to holy wells and such things, or engaging to some extent with the fairies. In fact, most people in the 18th and 19th century, if they had gone to see a fairy woman or whoever, would have been desperately disappointed if they came away without being told that they needed to connect with a holy well or some or, or a fort or something for for healing. So they were a little bit like the Native American shaman or, or You've got it, absolutely. That's what, in my own head, that's exactly how I mm. think of them. They were very much like the shaman in their days. Now, that tradition continued on until the second half of the 19th century, at least, before uh, conventional uh, medicine began to take over slowly, slowly. But the people had enormous amounts of faith in them. And in truth, the stories that we are told, including Billy Early, would suggest that they actually enjoyed a lot of success. And, and they had, the fairy doctors, they had their own They had their own toolkit, like the, you know, the famous black bag that the doctor used to arrive they, in when, when doctors came to your door. They had indeed, you're absolutely correct. Uh, there was all kinds of unusual, and we would look at them today and think they were all very foolish. But, but uh, you know, what the hell are you going to get from this? You know, they used very kind of, how will I put it to you, maybe less than conventional means of helping people. But I, I wrote that they use herbs, crystals, flint, as in old arrowheads that they'd found, spring water, holy water, prayers, charms, chants, magic and fairy council. Now, whether you would feel good about approaching someone with that toolkit to, to get you better, I don't know, but that's what was available to them. Now let's talk about about Biddy. Which Biddy Biddy Early is one of my favourites, one of my favourite <laughs> characters in in Irish history. And yes. uh, what I love about her is that she absolutely did not give a toss about exactly. uh, people who were placed above her in life or who were supposed to be authority figures. You're absolutely correct. She was an extremely independent individual. She was an extraordinary woman who did not bow to conventions at any level. She was married, I think, three or four times at least. And she practiced her medicine for the good of the people. She was never she never asked for a donation for her help, but she was definitely a standalone individual, much admired and much spoken, well spoken of to this day, you know. And she could really turn her hands to all kinds of things, except she wouldn't have been so big in, in, in we'll say, bones or bone breaks that was left to the, the bone setters, mm. but in most other things. And she was certainly, from the stories that remain, I, she seemed to have an intuitive sense of what was needed by people. She didn't, as you say, care about convention. She didn't care about the, the, the landlords or, or the bosses or the priests. She got on with doing whatever she felt was needed at the time. But I suspect that the reason why she is remembered uh, above anybody else is that she was actually very effective. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, she brought about an awful lot of cures for people. And people held her in great admiration for the good things she did for them and maybe their families. So that, that tradition continued for an awful long time. Now, she wasn't exclusively the only one. There was other people who were effective, apparently effective uh, at curing people as well. But she would have been 
very powerfully strong in terms of getting the results she needed. Now, um, if any of our listeners have seen the, the, the lovely cartoon saloon film Song of the Sea, they'll, they'll know mm. what we're talking about next because you've got a chapter on sea fairies and you, yes. you think of this as a whole other realm of she society. I do. I, I, I feel myself, and, and again, look, come here, we're, we're, I'm only offering an opinion, but there was a whole plethora of stuff associated with the sea and sea fairies. You have what they used to call the ninth wave. It's still quite commonly known. And that was a, a wave on, on the water. On, this is the ocean here, beyond which you were in magical realms. Inside that you were in the, the mortal realms, but not beyond that. There are many legends, including here in Clare, about sunken cities. We have at least one or two of them off the west coast of Clare. Then you have, of course, the whole wonderful stories about Blessed Isles. Probably the most famous being Tirlanog, where Oshin and Neve went to. High Brazil then, of course, was one. High Brazil was one of the fairy isles. Mm. And so strong was it, or the belief in it, and those who claim to see it, that from, I was just I was reading from a note here, that from 1325 to 1870, European nautical charts featured High Brazil. Mm. So, you, you know, there was a, a huge acceptance of the idea that there was fairies out there. And, of course, the most powerful uh, fairy associated with the sea was Mananon Macdalera. So, yes, you did, but they don't quite get as much attention as the land-based fairies. And were they vindictive or were they protective or were they a bit of both, like, like all the other bit fairies? A bit of both. bit of both. If they were having a bad day, they, they, a bit of both. <laughs> I mean, if they were having a bad day, would they drown sailors? No. I mean, I've never read specifically that. that, that. Now, there would be instances where that... They would irritate people at sea sometimes. And the best way to deal with them, apparently, was to use a piece of metal. And again, I think this goes back to, to I had a theory that they may have been, the fairies may have been an Aboriginal people until the Celts came with their swords and their spears and their steel, which put the, the fairies down. Because if you had uh, any troubles with fairies, certainly we'll take the one associated with the sea, if you had a piece of metal and threw it into the wave, everything would calm down. In other words, the fairies would retreat. They didn't want to bother you anymore. We should stop talking about them as if they were entirely in the past because they're still very much yes. with us. As yes. uh, anybody who has attempted, for example, to build a motorway or to build a road would be very well aware of. Absolutely. Just to take the motorway thing, and I'll offer you maybe another one if we have time. In 1999, they were, they were doing up what is now the M18 motorway from Limerick to Ennis. And a local man here, uh, I think we mentioned you know, Eddie Lenehan, was concerned because it was a tree, an old hawthorn tree, these tend to be shkakyals, uh, in the path of the intended motorway. And he, he wrote papers and wrote to lots of people, places. And he got enough attention that they changed the, the, the road ever so slightly. And to this day, the tree he was trying to protect is still standing in the middle of the of the motorway, the two lanes up and down, north and south. The tree still stands there as a sign of the success he had in stopping the, uh, the, the, the motorway going, cutting right through this place. But that wasn't the first time. That happened in Northern Ireland as well. People were incredibly protective of the lone trees to be found around the country. 
because lone trees were considered to be the provenance of the fairies. And Danny Healy Ray got involved in a controversy. Tell me about that. (laughs) He did. Danny, uh, in his role as a county councillor in Kerry, was getting very concerned because, again, of roadworks that were cutting right through an area very rich in uh, fairy forts, if you like, and he felt there was disturbance going on. And this got, of course, made the papers and, and, and didn't go down so well initially. But then with reflection, people saying, this guy is right. We need to be careful that the fairies and the trees and the forts are very much part of our cultural heritage. And we need to take better care of them and be more respectful of them. And really, by the time the, the, the vote was taken, as you might say, people were, were agreeing with him very much so. I mean, I suppose the point is, if you don't have to go near them and you don't have to touch them, why would you? Precisely. Um, Precisely. uh, Okay. now there are a number of people who may or may not have fallen foul, a number of very well-known people who may have fallen foul of the Shi over the years. John DeLorean, was he cursed by the Shi? He was. Well, I won't say he was, but (laughs) certainly the information will tell you that he was. He began his, his, his car manufacturing plant in Dunmurray in West Belfast since in 1979, as far as I can remember. There was a fa- very famous and very old, venerable hawthorn standing on the ground intended to be used for the factory. He could get nobody locally, no labourers, nobody else would touch the tree, and he had to bring in guys from far away to take the tree down. The local people there were convinced that, look, that wasn't a good thing to do. And anyway, within a couple of years... Having done that, his factory failed and it closed in 1982, five or six years after it had started, and was bankrupt. Now, whether you want to attribute that to the fairies and the disrespect for fairy ground or not, I don't know. But that's a legend that still stands today. If I may turn into Boris Johnson for a moment, I might just say post hoc ergo propter hoc. (laughs) Uh, Okay, you know know what I'm talking about. In other words, it may or may not have been a direct consequence of uh, the... No, but there are those who are quite happy to accept that it is. Yeah. And does fairy lore still remain with us. Obviously, it's not as alive today as it was in the 18th and 19th centuries, but it still clings on, doesn't it? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Um, if, if I were to go to the pub for a pint, which I sometimes do, but not as often as I'd like to, uh, and you get talking about these things, people say, ah, what are you all about? You know, but within 10 or 15 minutes, the conversation moves a fraction, and you'll suddenly have people telling you about this fort, or this tree, or this event, or what happened after something else. So, it's in the recesses, but it's in there. And we are still very much attached to the notion of the fairy folk. They were around for an awful long time, you know, and we can stop talking about them. But it doesn't mean that they've completely gone, because I don't believe they have at all. I think they'll be knocking around with us for a long, long time to come yet. Well, I'm very glad that they have found another excellent biographer in your good self. And the book is called Irish Fairies, A Short History of the She. It's available online at buythebook.ie. That's B-U-Y, buy the book. Uh, And it's also available in bookshops in Ennis, in Tralee, uh, Limerick and Galway. The author is Michael Houlihan. Michael, many thanks for joining us on The History Show. Thank you for having me, Miles. Thank you.